Ozark Highlands Radio is brought to you by the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas, a wonderful way to enjoy yesterday. On the web at OzarkFolkCenter.com. <laughs> Greetings, folks. This is Dave Smith, host of Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome to our show. We have a very special show for you this week as we feature the famed Irish accordion and melodeon player Paul Brock and his band of extraordinary musicians. Down in the vault, archivist Mark Jones has found an early recording of Ozark fiddler Euless Pilcher, and our guest host, Charlie Sandage, has put together a piece about one of the prettiest rivers in the Ozarks. All that and more this week on Ozark Highlands Radio. A tremendous amount of what we call traditional American music, especially that of the Southern Mountains, has its roots in the music of Ireland. Recently, we had a visit from some of Ireland's best musicians when the Paul Brock Band stopped by at the beginning of their 2017 American tour. Paul is joined by famed Irish composer and teacher Dennis Carey, multi-instrumentalist, singer, and dancer Dave Curley, and also multi-instrumentalist Shane Farrell. Here's a set recorded on our stage at the Ozark Folk Center State Park.
Well, I was actually born in Athlone, which is in the centre of Ireland, the, the, the Irish Midlands. But I, I moved down to Ennis in County Clare um, in the early 1960s. Um, Clare is generally recognised. It's actually called uh, frequently the home of Irish music because many of our great musicians came from Clare and come from Clare. And uh, there are a lot of musicians who are attracted to the county because, I suppose, the atmosphere, the landscape, it's beside uh, the Atlantic Ocean. And many of our great musicians, people like Willie Clancy, the, the um, Russell brothers, and so many great musicians down through the years came from Clare. It has a very distinctive style of music.
Uh, well, I, I, came, I came as a very, very young boy, and I've been, I've been coming here ever since. And I have, to, I have to tell you, Darren, I love coming to America. I love the level of appreciation of the music out here. I love the fact that many people are prepared to come out, have a cup of coffee or have a glass of wine, but just soak up the music. I love the fact that they people out here love to interact with you, talk to you, learn about you, speak to you about Ireland, speak to you about their visits to Ireland. And as I've I've played at this stage, I think in something like 38 states, and um, I so enjoy coming to America. It's my favorite place to visit. And I'm, I'm not just saying sure. that, I really sincerely mean that. On the first day of January, 1892, they opened Alice Island and they let the people through. And the first to cross the threshold of that Isle of Hope and Tears was Annie Moore from Ireland, who was all of 15. Isle of hope, Isle of tears, Isle of freedom, Isle of fears, but it's not the Isle you left behind. That Isle of hunger, Isle of pain, Isle you never see again, but the Isle of home is always on your mind. In a little bag she carried All her past and history And dreams for the future In the land of liberty And courage is the passport When your old world disappears But there's no future in the past When you're 15 Isle of hope, Isle of tears, Isle of freedom, Isle of fears, but it's not the Isle you left behind. That Isle of hunger, Isle of pain, Isle you'll never see again, but the Isle of home is always on your mind. Closed down Ellis Island in 1943. Seventeen million people had come there for sanctuary. And in springtime, when I came here and I stepped onto its piers, I 
thought of how it must have been when you're 15 years. Isle of hope, Isle of tears, Isle of freedom, Isle of fears. But it's not the Isle you left behind. That Isle of hunger, Isle of pain, Isle you never see again. But the Isle of home is always on your mind. But the Isle of home is always on your mind. I suppose the first thing to learn is that Irish people have been coming out here for a very long time. And the first major wave of emigration happened in the 1700s when 400,000 Scots-Irish came out. And we've had uh, quite a few waves of emigration since. And of course, we had the potato famine of the mid-1800s that resulted in a huge decrease in our population from probably around eight, nine million to down below four million. And many of the emigrants came to America because it was the land of opportunity and because uh, the language here is English like ourselves. So the links between Ireland and America are very strong under a number of headings, economically, socially, culturally, and um, many of your presidents, for example, claim Irish ancestry, have claimed that Irish ancestry down through the years. Um, over 52 million Americans claim Irish ancestry. <laughs> Thank you. 
great Irish music performed by the Paul Brock Band. In that first set, we heard a medley of Paddy in London, the old Blackthorn Stick, and the humors of Ballyconnell, followed by the Mason's Apron, and then a beautiful song sung by Dave Curley, Isle of Hope. And we ended that set with Tom Ward's Downfall. There's more good Irish music to come, but after the break, I'm going to visit Mark Jones to see what good old Ozark tune he's found for us this week. This is Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome back. You know, I haven't seen my old buddy Mark Jones here in at least a week. I'm going to head down to the vault now and see what's up. Hey, Mark. Ah, Dave. How are you? Well, I'm pretty good. I, you've been laying low lately. I haven't seen much of you. Well, I've been locked down in here and just <laughs> enjoying it, but uh, I get lonesome sometimes. Well, I know you spend a lot of time listening to music down here. What, what have you found recently? Well... You know, Dave, when I first came down here, there was a gentleman that was playing at the Folk Center, and he was a really fine dance fiddle player. And, uh, and, you know, I got to know him a little bit, but not like I would have liked to. His name was Euless Pelcher. Euless. Uh-huh. You know, I remember Euless as uh, one of the last of the really old-time fiddlers that we used to have here. Uh, he all, Every time he came here to the Folk Center, he had a bib overalls and a suit coat. Remember yeah. that? Uh-huh. <laughs> he was quite the fella. And I run across this tune, and I know you've heard the tune before, but Euless's version of it is, is a little different. It's called Sally Gooden. Sally Gooden. You know, that's true. Just about every fiddler has their own version of Sally Gooden. That's true. Let's listen to Euless's version. Okay. Let's hear it.
Boy, that brings back memories, Mark, hearing Euless Pilcher playing Sally Gooden. It sure does. That's uh, just when I first came down here, and uh, Euless was playing at the Folk Center every day and night, too. You know, I, I believe Euless used to live out on the Dry Creek Road, and uh, I think I heard he was born in 1928. 1928. And he was a fine square dance fiddler. He really knew how to play the right rhythm for a square dance, didn't he? He sure did. When he played, you just felt like dance. That's right. Well, Mark, it's good seeing you again. Maybe I'll see you again next week, huh? I hope so. One of the things that gives Irish music its distinctive sound is the plectrum style of banjo playing. While here in the U.S., our major banjo playing styles are three-finger picking and claw hammer, in Ireland, the banjo is usually played with a flat pick. Dave Curley and Shane Farrell are both excellent banjo pickers, as you'll hear in this next set of music by the Paul Brock Band.
So in the case of our music, um, you mentioned, of course, the, the journey and the influence of our music. The Scots-Irish brought the music into the Appalachians and the influence of, of their journey is heard today in old-time music, in country music, in bluegrass music, very, very strongly. And we hear those connections. And in, in fact, um, we have many friends um, down in Nashville or in the general Appalachian area. And um, they're very interested in our music. They're very influenced by our music. They love our music, as we do the music out here. And as we journey around in North America, we're continually looking for the influence of our music. And we, we hear it. Uh, we hear it in many, many parts. And, um, you know, as I say, that, that musical connection is a very strong bond between our countries. Um, he's going to play for you now part of an emigration suite he wrote some years ago in Irish in our own language, it's known as Slán Lesh an Uignes, and that translates as Goodbye to the Loneliness. Dennis Carey.
Fortunately for us and for our emigrant musicians, uh, America presented a huge opportunity for them. Their arrival here, um, in the case of the people who came post the, the potato famine of the mid-1800s, their arrival here coincided with a whole lot of important developments in America, like the emergence of the whole entertainment industry, the minstrel shows, variety theatre, vaudeville, the dance halls, the uh, emergence of the recording industry in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, the uh, arrival of radio broadcasting in the mid-1920s. All of these things created opportunity for our immigrant musicians. America plays a hugely important role in Irish music.
Sinn Féin. Because in that period, particularly of the first 30 years of the 20th century, we refer to that as the golden era of Irish music. And that's when many of our immigrant musicians, fortunately for us, were recorded out here. And whereas the scene back home was, uh, was a bad time, um, you know, we had been through a, a lot of conflict. Um, the scene was uh, one of depression, um, emigration was very high, unemployment was very high. So the music that came back from America, from the Irish immigrant musicians recorded out here, energized the music scene back home and um, created a pride and caused our people to sit up and take notice and be, because, um, you, you know, the, 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 the musicians out here uh, got an opportunity, they got employment, they earned a living, the dance halls, radio broadcasting, recording industry, all of these things gave them an opportunity that they would not have had at home. Listening to Paul Brock, Dennis Carey, Dave Curley, and Shane Farrell, recorded at a show they did recently at the Ozark Folk Center in Mountain View, Arkansas. We heard The Frost Is All Over, Goodbye to Loneliness, Funk the Cajun Blues, and we faded out with Because It's There. When we come back after this break, we'll hear Charlie Sandage's piece about one of the best kept secrets in the Ozarks, the Little Red River. You're listening to Ozark Highlands Radio. If you head south from Mountain View, Arkansas and the Ozark Fault Center along either State Highway 9 or Highway 5, you will soon cross the Little Red River or one of its tributaries or find it in its Grigger's Ferry Lake stage. It's a small stream, 
just barely over 100 miles in length and easy to overlook. But once noticed, it captures attention, much as the sight of a rare yellow lady slipper on an Ozark hillside might do. Like most rivers, the Little Red is born of creeks that flow together, some with predictable names like Middle Fork. But when Jeff Quinn, stream fisheries biologist for the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, recites this stream's components, some of the names have a ring to them. Well, the uh, Little Red River is kind of located in north central Arkansas. It uh, kind of starts among several forks that are in the kind of the Boston Mountain region. It's a lot of deciduous forests. Um, you might see some cows along some pastures. But the main tributaries, like the South Fork near Clinton and the Middle Fork near Shirley, there's the Ar Archie Fork and also the Devil Beach Fork that come in. Uh, so there's these big tributaries and they all feed into Greer's Ferry Lake. It's a beautiful lake. It's uh, known for its bass fishing and its walleye. Um, it's almost two lakes because there's an upper lake and then there's this really narrow section, which is really interesting for a bigger reservoir. And then there's a lower lake, which uh, can get you over to the town of Heber Springs. On a poignant note, the dam that creates Greer's Ferry Lake was dedicated on October 3 of 1963 by President John F. Kennedy in his last major appearance before going to Dallas, Texas in the following month. Jeff Quinn continues. Greer's Ferry Dam that creates the lake, you can actually drive over it. Um, there's a trout hatchery just below there, which has a really nice trail. The tailwater area is, is known for its trout fishing, for primarily rainbow trout and brown trout. And at one time, it held the record for the world's largest brown trout at about 40 pounds. And the lake actually had a walleye world record on it. The headwaters of the Little Red run through a valley so wide and deep that an observer wonders how such a small stream might have created it and it has huge rock formations that seem to dwarf the river itself. Angela Chandler, Arkansas Geological Survey supervising geologist. If you're walking a lot of these smaller streams in the northern part of the state in the Ozarks, you'll see that there are huge, huge boulders, some of them as large as vehicles and small buildings, and the stream will just be very small. And you wonder, when did this stream have enough water to carry this huge boulder? Uh, and so at one time in geologic past, we know there had to be a huge amount of water that would have carried these large boulders. So we say that the streams are underfit. They're not the correct size to carry these large boulders. Uh, so we know a lot of this was due to this glacial outwash and meltwash that would have happened after the last great ice age. Again, Jeff Quinn. Those upper reaches of the river are what we like to call debris regulated. That means the spacings of the riffles and pools are often related to these giant boulders. So there's a lot of cascading reaches with giant boulders and then deep pools. And then the next big boulder area kind of controls where the next pool ends. So it's not like a, a gravel bed stream, which is more defined by gravel. It's really in its upper headwater more of a a boulder and the upper Little Red River is also known for having uh, endangered fish, the, the yellow-cheeked darter, and it also has endangered mussels. Colorful stories, sometimes true, have always grown along the banks of this river. 
One collection set in the Devil's Fork area featured a character who was extremely popular in the 1840s in major U.S. cities, Pete Whetstone. A frontiersman, hunter, horse racer, gambler, and politician was the creation of Charles F.M. Noland, an Arkansas literary and political figure. Pete would write letters to the publishers of East Coast periodicals. Robert Gillahan, a well-known Mountain View musician, reads Pete's account of how a house raising led to a horse race. It started when someone broke out a jug. Come in, says the squire. Walk up and take a horn. Well, he didn't have to say so twice before it was going down like suds in a sinkhole. They fought it all around and went to work. While they were putting up the house, there was some little bantering, but when they did get it up, there were some slick doings, I tell you. One of the Missourians broke out like a bear in a canebrake. Says he, if you have any sportsmen among you, just lend an ear to a traveling man while he tells you what he can do. He can slow all your horses, your mares, your colts, one quarter of a mile for all sorts of money. Well, I looked around and spied Dan Looney, and the rattlesnake was rising in him. So, says he, look here, old stranger, trot out your nag and give us a peep at him. Nolan's Pete helped create an image of the Arkansas Ozarks that some here still resent, but others, as if in on the joke, smile and consider it worth preserving. No disagreement exists about the need to preserve such a symbol of the region as the Little Red River. Biologist Jeff Quinn reflects. Uh, so there's a lot of issues when it comes to awareness and protection of the Little Red River watershed. You know, the first thing I think about is the river really reflects what's going on in the whole watershed. And it not only reflects what's happening today, but also what's happened in the past. It takes a long time for sediment to move through a river. And really, uh, forestry activities that happened maybe 100 years ago, those that sediment that enters the river can take 100 years or more to really move through the system. And those things happen at time scales that are beyond our lifespan sometimes. So it's hard for us to even grasp those kind of ideas. It's all about heritage, cultural and natural. The leader of the band we're featuring on this week's show, Paul Brock, is a multiple All-Ireland champion from Athlone County, Westmeath, and now residing in Ennis, County Clare. Brock co-founded the Brock McGuire Band in the year 2000 with fiddle player Menace McGuire. The band has gone on to record a number of highly acclaimed albums, including Greengrass Bluegrass, a collaboration with 14-time Grammy Award winner Ricky Skaggs, celebrating the connection between Appalachian and Irish music. Here are some more fine Irish tunes from the Paul Brock Band. general scene in Ireland up to the 1960s was one of depression, unemployment, emigration, as I said. And uh, the economic development program of the late 1950s, early 1960s, started to turn things. And from the 60s onwards, we started to get the act together. And... Um, our music was part and parcel of that whole kind of reawakening, redevelopment. 
What we have seen is the continual development of the music, but probably in the last 30 years, uh, it, you could say there's been just an explosion. And best of all at home is the number of young children who are attracted to this music. And if you visit Ireland, you will be astonished to see the number of children who are playing this music, or our music, at a very, very high level, and who are keeping it not just alive, but absolutely thriving.
And even with the young bands back home in Ireland, the young musicians, I'm very excited about what they're doing because they're now stretching the music. They're pushing out the boundaries in all kinds of directions. And I think we're in a very exciting phase right now. And I'm, I'm just wondering what's going to be there in the next 10 years. And I really am. Like you take a band like Bioga, that came out of the university in Nimerick. They just recorded a number of tracks with Ed Sheeran that they jointly wrote with him. So I, I'm, I'm not a purist in the sense that I, I think it. The music is so strong. The bedrock is there, and it can take, it can take any kind of experimentation. It'll still be, it'll still remain pure at the end of the day. I've no doubt about that. I have no problem with the young musicians. I think they're on a very exciting track right now. And as I say, I'm, I'm wondering what's gonna come out <laughs> in the next 10 years. We'll see.
We've been listening today to the Paul Brock Band. They played Miss Monaghan's Reel, Darling of My Heart, and ended with a set of traditional jigs and reels. Thanks so much for listening to our show. If you have any questions or comments about this show, drop us a note on the Ozark Highlands Radio Facebook page, and be sure to check us out at ozarkhighlandsradio.com. And for all of us here at Ozark Highlands Radio, this is Dave Smith. See you next week. Ozark Highlands Radio is produced by Jeff Glover. Executive producer is Darren Dorton. Additional support for this program comes from the Committee of 100, proudly supporting the Ozark Folk Center State Park since 1974. Arkansas State Parks, with 52 unique reasons to visit the natural state. On the web at ArkansasStateParks.com. And by Stone Bank, with deep roots in Mountain View and a deep respect for those who preserve our heritage. More information about what it means to bank Boulder is at StoneBank.com. For information on upcoming shows and events, we are on the web at OzarkHighlandsRadio.com. Until next time, I'm Donna Farrar.